I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Welcome to the Mansion of Leaves of Glen. That's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. Uh, This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we'll continue reading uh, uh, Chapter 12 of The Hound of Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle. Sick of this book. You want to learn about the author? I don't, but I have to keep saying it. Sir Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle was born the 22nd of May, 1859, and died the 7th of July, 1930. Ah, he's a British writer and physician. He created the character Sherlock Holmes in 1887 for A Study in Scarlet, the first of four novels of 56, 56, 56 short stories about Holmes and Dr. Watson. Uh, Sherlock Holmes stories are milestones in the field of crime fiction. Want to learn some fun facts? Sure. Why not? Doyle was one of the earliest uh, motorists in Britain. He reportedly bought a car without ever having driven one before. In 1911, he took part in the Prince Henry Tour, an international road competition organized by Prince Henry of Prussia to pit uh, pit British cars against German ones. Doyle paired up with his second wife, Jean, as one of the British driving teams. Uh, He helped... uh, Ugh, popularized skiing because he's a little rich boy. Oh, he not only liked cricket and football, but Doyle helped to popularize the winter sport following a move to Davros, Switzerland. In 1893, uh, the mountain air was prescribed to aid his wife's health. Oh, good. So he goes out there for her health, and he's like, I Take care of yourself. I'm going to hit the slopes. He mastered the basics with the help of Branger Brothers, uh, two locals who had taken to practicing the sport after dark to avoid being teased by the town folk. Now, oh, well, there you go. It's a little rich boy sport. Together, they were the first people to make the 8,000-foot pass through the Mainfelder Furka, well, which separated Davos from the neighboring town of Arosa. Uh, Doyle was the first Englishman to document the thrill of skiing. Oh, you let yourself go, he said, getting as near to flying as any earthbound man can. In that glorious air, it's a delightful experience. Doyle correctly predicted that in the future, hundreds, hundreds of Englishmen would come to Switzerland for the skiing season. Uh, And also a seance was organized for him to make an appearance from beyond the grave. Following his death, a seance was conducted at the Royal Albert Hall. Thousands attended, including his wife and children. A row of chairs were arranged on the stage for his family, with one left empty for Sir Arthur. Uh, Even though he did not appear, there were many people in the audience uh, who who claimed they had felt his presence among them. Uh, Because people lie. They do it all the time. Ah, crap. There's still more time left for the grandfather clock. Uh, So, I don't really know what to talk about. Last weekend, I I took my oldest child uh, to New York City. 
And we walked around. I had a good time. They wanted to go see the New York Public Library because it's something you always see in the movies. But uh, And I got a friend who lives out there. He said, oh, I know someone that's a curator at the library. Give him a special tour of all the secret places no one gets to see. I'm like, oh, that'd be tits. Uh, but they closed the library due to COVID. So uh, we just kind of went to the Museum of Natural History instead. And no one gave us a tour there. And I met up with my friend uh, later, and uh, we all hung out uh, at a restaurant. And then after that, he said, do you want to go someplace else? And he said, sure. So we wound up going to a dive bar where my my oldest child, who is only 16, uh, actually did a good job being pretty cool in a dive bar in New York. While there was a man, and I'm not exaggerating, a man literally pressing his nipple against the window. We walk in, and he's pressing his nipple against the giant picture window to somebody outside. Everyone is rowdy and ridiculous, and my kids sat there cool as a cucumber, just being real, real smooth, and talked to my friend about 1990s hip-hop music and really impressed him. So I was pretty proud of my kid. She made me pretty happy. Uh, And then, you know, after that, went home and and then watched 2001 A Space Odyssey uh, after that. Oh, thank God. Well, with that, why don't we dive into Chapter 12 and see if we can get anywhere closer to finishing this giant, marbleized turd. Is it weird that uh, I don't even like my own podcast right now? Uh, I have to keep reading this crap book, and uh, and I just I dread it. I don't look forward to it. Uh, I don't even consider myself a podcaster anymore because I don't look forward to making the podcast. If I could just finish my commitment of reading this book, I can move on to reading more fun things. If anyone were to ask me, oh, Glenn, uh, what do you do on your free time? I would not say that I make a podcast. Because for one, they make fun of you. Everyone makes a podcast. Everyone and their mother makes a podcast. Uh, I even recently read that the post office, the post office has its own podcast with, uh, what's his name? The big jerk that Trump put into place to try and shut down the post office and make it impossible to send in your votes. That guy's still there, and I don't know why. Uh, I got an email from my post office saying, come listen to our podcast. We're going we're gonna to interview that jerk who tried to actually shut down the ability to send out your uh, votes through mail. Uh, He's still there, and we're going to interview him about his history of being an entrepreneur. So uh, being a podcaster isn't as cool as it used to be, and uh, with this book, I'm certainly not talking about it. Well, let's move on. Chapter 12, Death on the Moor. For a moment or two, I sat breathless, hardly able to believe my ears. Then my senses, my voice came back to me. While a, while a crushing weight of responsibility uh, seemed in that instant to be lifted from my soul, that cold, incisive, ironical voice could belong to but one man in all the world. Holmes, I cried. Holmes, come out, said he, and please be careful with that revolver. Oh, that's right. We left off at the mouth of a cave where a mysterious man walked up, and I was claiming, oh, it's going to be Holmes, isn't it? And uh, yeah, it is. Because everything's predictable. I stooped under the rude uh, lintel. Lintel? What's a lintel? Let's look that up. It's going to be another waste of my time. A horizontal support of timber, stone, concrete, or steel across or above the top of a door or window. 
All right, we learned something today. And there he sat upon a stone outside, his, his gray eyes, ooh, ooh, dancing with amusement as they fell upon my astonished features. Yeah, yeah, and then with a thin and worn but clear and alert, oh, his, his keen face bronzed by the sun and roughened by the wind. In his tweed suit uh, and cloth cap, he looked like any other tourist upon the moor. And he had contrived with that cat-like love of personal cleanliness, which was one of his characteristics, that his chin should be as smooth and his linen as perfect as if he were in Baker Street. I never was more glad to see anyone in my life, said I, as I wrung him by the hand. I or more astonished, eh? Well, I must confess to it. Now, the surprise is not all on that side, I assure you. I had no idea that you found my occasional retreat, still less that you were inside it until I was within twenty paces of the door. My footprint, I presume? No, Watson. I fear I could not undertake to recognize your footprint amid all the footprints of the world. Uh, if you, if you seriously, because he's trying to say your foot is so average. I literally can't uh, pick it out. Uh, If you seriously desire to deceive me, you must change your tobacconist. For when I see the stub of a cigarette, marked Bradley, Oxford Street, I know that my friend Watson is in the neighborhood. Uh, You will see it there beside the path. You threw it down, no doubt, at that supreme moment when you charged into that empty hut. Exactly. I thought as much, and knowing your admirable tenacity, I was convinced that you were sitting in ambush, a weapon within reach, waiting for the tenant to return. So, you actually thought that I was the criminal? I did not know who you were, but uh, I was determined to find out. Excellent, Watson, and how did you localize me? You saw me, perhaps, on the night of the convict hunt, when I was so imprudent as to allow the moon to rise behind me? Yes... I saw you then. And have you no doubt searched all the huts until you came to this one? No, your boy had been observed, and that gave me a guide to where to look. Ah, the old gentleman with the telescope, I uh, no doubt. I was just going to say, if he's such a genius, he would see that there's a house over the horizon, and maybe someone in that house might... I don't know, because he's supposed to be so perfect, just know they got a telescope, and just be like, well, don't send the boy this way. Find some other way for the boy to get to your hut. Or pick a hut that's not facing the damn house. But, no, apparently this is all uh, according to plan. Uh, Nothing gets by old Holmes. Uh, I could not make it out at first when I saw the light flash upon the lens. He rose and peeped into the hut. Aha, I see that Cartwright has brought up some supplies. Uh, What's this paper? So you've been to Coombe Tracy, have you? Yes. To see Miss Laura Lyons? Exactly. Ah, well done. Our researches have evidently been running on parallel lines. And when we unite our results, I expect that we shall have a fairly full knowledge of the case. Uh, well, I'm uh, glad from my heart that you're here, for indeed the responsibility and the mystery were both becoming too much for my nerves. Uh, but how in the, in the name of wonder uh, did you come here? And what, uh, what have you been doing? I thought you were in uh, Baker Street, working out that case of blackmailing. Uh, that was what I wished you to think. Uh, Then you use me, and yet you do not trust me, I cried with some bitterness. I think that I deserve better at your hands, Holmes. 
No, my dear fellow, you have been invaluable to me in this as in many other cases, and I beg that you will forgive me if I seem to play a trick upon you. In truth, it was partly for your own sake that I did it. Oh, gaslighting, cool. And it was my appreciation of the danger which you ran which led me to come down and examine the matter for myself. Oh, had I been with Sir Henry and with you as is confident that my point of view would have been the same as yours, and my presence would have warned our very formidable opponents to be on their guard. As it is, I have been able to get about as I could not possibly have done, and I've been living in the hall. Oh, oh, and I remain an unknown factor in the business, ready to throw all my weight at a critical moment. Yeah, but, but why keep me in the dark? Yeah, for you know... Uh, could not have helped us. It might possibly have led to my discovery. Oh, you would have wished to tell me something, or in your kindness, you would have brought me out some sort of eh, comfort or other. But oh, so an unnecessary risk would be run, and I, I brought Cartwright down here with me. Yeah, you have a little chap at the express office, and, and he is seen after my simple wants. Oh, a loaf of bread and a clean collar. What does man want more? Well, I don't know, a toilet. He has given me an extra pair of eyes upon a very active pair of feet, and both have been invaluable. Then my uh, reports have all been wasted. My voice trembled as I recalled the plans and the pride with which I had composed them. Holmes took a bundle of papers from his pocket. Ah, here are your reports, my dear fellow, and very well thumbed, I assure you. I made excellent arrangements, and they are only delayed by one day upon their way. I, I must compliment you exceedingly upon the zeal and the intelligence which you have shown over an extraordinary difficult case. I was still there. Uh, Rather raw over the description which he had been practiced upon me, but the warmth of Holmes' praise drove my anger from my mind. Yeah, because you're always chasing after this asshole's praise. I also, uh, I felt also in my heart that he was right in what he said and what he was really best for our purpose, that I should not have known that he was upon the moor. Ah, that's better, said he, uh, seeing the shadow rise from my face. And now tell me the result of your visit to Mrs. Laura Lyons. Oh, it's not difficult for me to guess that it was uh, to see her that you had gone, for I am already aware that she is the one person in Coombe Tracy who might be of service to us in the matter. In fact, if you had not gone today, it is exceedingly probable that I should have gone tomorrow. The sun had set and dusk was settling over the moor. The air had turned chill, and we withdrew into the hut for warmth. There, sitting together at the toilet. Oh, I told Holmes my conversation with the lady. Uh, so interested was he that I had to repeat some of it twice before he was satisfied. Ah, uh, this is most important, said he when I had concluded. It fills a gap for which I have been unable to bridge in the most complex affair. You are aware, perhaps, that a close intimacy exists between this lady and the man Stapleton? I, I did not know the close intimacy. Ah, uh, that there can be no doubt about the matter. They meet. They write. There is a complete understanding between them. Now this puts a very powerful weapon in our hands. If I could only use it to detach his wife. His wife? I'm giving you some information now in return for all that you have given me. The lady who has passed here as Miss Stapleton is in reality his wife. Uh, good heavens, Holmes. Are you sure of what you say? 
And how could he be permitted to Sir Henry to fall in love with her? Oh, Sir Henry's falling in love could do no harm to anyone except Sir Henry. He took particular care that Sir Henry did not make love to her, as you have yourself observed. I repeat that the lady is his wife and not his sister. But why this elaborate deception? Because he foresaw that she would be very much more useful to him in this character of a free woman. All my unspoken instincts, my vague suspicions, suddenly took shape and centered upon the naturalist. In what, in that impassive, colorless man with his, with his, with his straw hat and his butterfly net, I seemed to see something terrible, a creature of infinite patience and craft, with a smiling face and a murderous heart. It is he, then, who is our enemy. It is he... Who dogged us in London? So I read the riddle. And the warning? It must have come from her. Exactly. The shape of some mysterious villainy, half-seen, half-guessed, loomed through the darkness which had girt me for so long. But are you sure this, Holmes? Uh, How do you know the woman is his wife? Because he's so far forgot himself as to tell you a true piece of autobiography upon the occasion when you first met him. And I dare say that he has many a time regretted it since. He was once a schoolmaster in the north of England. Now there's no more easy to trace than a schoolmaster. Oh, there are scholastic agencies by which one may identify any man who has uh, been in the profession. A little investigation showed me that a school had come to grief under atrocious circumstances, and that the man who had owned it, uh, the name was different, uh, had disappeared with his wife. All the descriptions agreed uh, when I learned that the missing man was devoted to entomology. The identification was complete. The darkness was rising, but much was still hidden by the shadows. If this woman is in truth his wife, uh, where does Miss Laura Lyons come in, I asked. That is one of the points upon which your own researches have uh, shed a light. Your interview with the lady has cleared the situation very much, and I did not know about a projected divorce between herself and her husband, and in that case, regarding Stapleton, as an uh, unmarried man, she counted no doubt upon becoming his wife. Uh, 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 when uh, she is undeceived, why, then we may find the lady of service. It must be our first duty to see her, both of us, tomorrow. Oh, don't you think, Watson, that you are away from your charge rather long? Your place should be at Baskerville Hall. Well, the last red streaks had faded away in the west, and night had settled upon the moor. A few faint stars were gleaming in a violet sky. Uh, One last question, Holmes, I said as I arose. Surely there's no need of secrecy between you and me. Uh, What is the meaning of it all? What is it all after? Holmes' voice sank as he answered. It is murder, Watson. Refined. Ooh, cold-blooded. Oh, deliberate murder. Do not ask me for particulars. Well, of course you're going to. My nets are closing upon him, even as his are upon Sir Henry. And with your help, he is already almost at my mercy. Oh, there's but one danger which can threaten us, and it is that he should strike before we are ready to do so. Another day, eh, ooh, two at the most, and I should have my case complete. But until then, guard your charge as closely as ever. A fond mother watched her ailing child. Your mission today is justified itself, and yet I could almost wish that you had not left his side. Hark! A terrible scream, a prolonged yell of horror and anguish, 
burst out of the silence upon the moor, and that frightful cry turned the blood into ice in my veins. Oh, my God, I gasped. Uh, what is it? What does it mean? Holmes had sprung to his feet, and I saw his dark, mm, athletic outline. At the door of the hut, his shoulders stooping, his head thrust forward, his face uh, peering into the darkness. Hush, he whispered. Hush. The cry had been uh, loud on accent of its vehemence, uh, but it had peeled out from somewhere far off in the shadowy plain. Now it burst upon our ears, nearer, louder, more urgent than before. Uh, uh, where, uh, where is it? Holmes whispered. And I knew from the thrill of his voice that he, the man of iron, was shaken to the soul. Uh, "'Where is it, Watson?' Uh, "'There, I think,' I pointed to the darkness. "'No, uh, there!' Again, the agonized cry swept through the silent night, louder and much nearer than ever, and a new sound mingled with it, a deep, muttered rumble. "'Musical, hmm, and yet menacing, rising, yeah, falling like a low, constant murmur of the sea. "'The hound!' Uh, cried Holmes. "'Come, Watson, come! Great heavens, if we are too late!' "'And we started running swiftly over the moor, "'and I followed at his heels. "'But uh, now, from somewhere among the broken ground "'immediately in front of us, "'there came at last a despairing yell. "'Then a, then a dull, heavy thud. "'We halted and listened. "'Now the sound broke, the heavy silence of the windless night, "'and... I saw Holmes put his hand to his forehead like a man distracted. Oh, he stamped his feet upon the ground. He's, uh, he's beating us, Watson. We are too late. No, no, surely not. Fool that I was to hold my hand. And you, Watson, see what comes of abandoning your charge. But by heaven, if the worst has happened, we'll avenge him. Blindly we ran through the gloom, blundering against boulders, forcing our way through gorse, bushes, uh, panting up hills and rushing down slopes, heading always in the direction whence those dreadful sounds come. Uh, at every rise, Holmes looked eagerly around him, and the shadows were thick upon the moor, and nothing moved upon its dreary face. Hey, can, can you see anything? Nothing. Oh, but hark, what is that? Well, uh, with that, seems as good a time as any to take a break, uh, and just reflect upon the fact that, uh, throughout the last chapter or so, there was a second weird man just running around the woods. Not the criminal, just somebody else. And a child was bringing that person food. So he uh, was living in a stone hut, and uh, people thought, oh, he's some kind of dangerous ruffian, some kind of villain, even though he's got perfectly clean clothes and a beautifully shaven face, and he's got an athletic build. But they still thought he was dangerous, and so they uh, feared him. But there'd be nothing to fear if people uh, from their telescopes looked out upon the cave or the hut and saw that there was a beautiful, beautiful pane of glass with a glass door in the middle of it, which you could get if you're going to decorate your own cave and try to make it a little more modern because you can't just have a giant wide open mouth on your cave because if... Uh, Everyone's going to see you take a crap. You're going to have some kind of bathroom. That's one thing they don't talk about in this story. Holmes has been living there for days. Where's he pooping with his clean clothes and his beautiful little uh, equine nose? He's just hanging out, being a sophisticated man. He's taking a dump somewhere, probably some kind of bucket, I imagine. I don't know, unless he crafted some clay toilet with running water, which I doubt he did. You're going to want privacy. Uh, and you're going to want some sort of beautiful glass front on your cave with like a beautiful glass door or maybe like one of those really cool uh, spinning doors where you walk in. It's like a little fan. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Uh, rotisserie doors. Uh, 
Well, it doesn't matter. The point I'm trying to make is you want something to stop people from seeing you take a crap. Which is why, if you're going to live in a cave and you want custom windows and doors made, you're going to want to go to Doorglass Incorporated. That's doorglass.com. D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S.com. Oh, they're dedicated to fabricating and professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory, combined with their years of experience, makes them the premier source for installation and repair. They approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, integrity, and they're discreet. They will build a glass wall for your cave door so that no one sees you take a crap. Hell, they might even make some kind of glass enclosure with a door on it so that you can go in and take a crap in your bucket. And they're discreet. They won't tell the other neighbor's folk about it. You can still live in your cave secretly. They'll build this and not tell anyone. Not even the small child running up with your bread and stuff. They're, not, they're just going to act like that kid's not even there. What do they do? Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors. Be great for a cave opening. Mirrors, shower doors, installation repair. And they will design and build anything you ask. Anything on earth. I want to live in a cave, but I want a beautiful display window with a with a, some sort of like French door thing made of glass. And they'll be like, yeah, fine, we could do it, whatever. They'll do it. Just ask them. Their clients, Pottery Barn, Williams Sonoma, Sherman Williams, Portillo's, which makes uh, sandwiches apparently, the Salt Cave, which is in Minneapolis, a horrifying place. And God, don't touch the walls. They say that on their website. And Applebee's. Well, with that, uh, why don't we uh, head upstairs? We've had a long day. Uh, let's just go upstairs. We can relax a little bit. I got a beautiful, a beautiful round waterbed. It's like like being on a wet Oreo cookie. We'll just get on there. We'll wiggle around a little bit. We'll have a good time. Let's just get to know each other a little bit. Let's get a little intimate. I'll see you upstairs. I'm coming. Don't you run away from me. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you're wearing. Uh, what, what are you wearing? You're wearing like a, like a Disney princess outfit. A little tiara. But you're covered in mud. Why the hell are you covered in mud? Oh, you're pointing at the book on the bed. All right, fine. The Runaway Duchess by Joanna Lowell. Oh, it says she's on tour right now. That's great. This is what you want me to look at. Well, let's learn about the Runaway Duchess. A runaway bride dumps a duke and rewrites her own love story in this enchanting Victorian historical romance from the author of The Duke Undone, which is a book I've already reviewed before, I found out. Pretty and pampered, yeah. Lavina Yardley, sounds like a fake name, always dreamed of becoming a duchess, but family disgrace forces her into marriage with the most vile duke in England. Oh, she finds herself desperate for a way out, and when a rustic stranger mistakes her for a globe-trotting botanist, nah, Muriel Pendrake, ugh, at, at, at train station, Lavina has a split second to decide whether to submit to her fate or steal someone else's. Neil Tremaine's, these are all fake names, spent his youth traveling the world as, as Varham's nursery's most daring plant hunter. Sounds exciting, like you're a... Uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, now he runs the nursery and is ready to settle down with a like-minded wife who will fit right in with his large, happy, down-to-earth family. 
Uh, his correspondence with Muriel Pendrake proved that they're, they're the perfect match. Odd that the woman in the flesh seems more like a society belle than a scientist. As they tramp the Cornish moors together, Lavina and Neil discover a wild and rare desire. But this blossoming love is rooted in lies. And when the real Muriel Pendrake shows up, they can't hide uh, from who they are. The truth may wither their hopes of happiness, or it may bloom into the sweetest love of all. It's a love based on lies. So the the real woman shows up and be like, that's your... your you're dating a liar. I'm the real one. What's he going to do? Choose her? Sorry. Sorry for our pre-planned love. I've found somebody else. Get back on that train and go home. Sounds like a great story. Well, with that, you can find The Runaway Duchess by Joanna Lowell, who's currently on tour uh, January 18th. Uh, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books Million, which is a shit show, uh, Bookshop.org, which Ben can tell you all about, Hudson Booksellers, IndieBound, Powell's, Target, and Walmart. Well, with that, I find your muddy, disgusting Disney princess dress uh, gross. I don't want anywhere near my beautiful round waterbed with the silk sheets. So get out of my room, go back downstairs, and let's finish reading this book. Alright, he's settled. Oh, great. He didn't take the dress off. So he's getting all that mud in my beautiful Nagahide chairs. Fine. At least they're Nagahide. They're easy to clean off. A low moan had fallen upon our ears. Yeah, there it is again upon our left. On the, that side, a ridge of rocks ended in a sheer cliff which overlooked a stone-strewn slope. On its jagged face was eagle spread, some dark, irregular object. As we ran toward it, and the vague outline hardened to a definite shape, it was a prostrate man, faced, uh, uh, faced downward, up upon the ground. The head doubled under him at a, at a horrible angle. Ugh, gross. The shoulders rounded, and the body hunched together as if it was in the act of throwing a somersault. Well, that sounds fun. So grotesque, oh, I guess it wasn't, was the attitude that I could not for the instant realize that the moan had been the passing of his soul. Not a whisper, not a rustle rose now from the dark figure over which we'd stooped. Holmes laid his hand upon him and held it up again with an exclamation of horror. The gleam of the match which he struck shone upon the clotted fingers and upon the, the ghastly pool which widened slowly from the crushed skull of the victim. And it shone upon something else which turned our hearts sick and faint within us. The body of Sir Henry Baskerville, exclamation point. Now, there's no chance for either of us forgetting this peculiar ruddy tweed suit, uh, the very one which he had worn on the first morning that we had seen him in Baker Street. Ah, oh, we caught the clear glimpse of it, and then the match flickered and, uh, and, we, and went out, uh, even as the hope had gone out of, our, out of our souls. Oh, that was symbolic. Holmes groaned, and his face glimmered uh, white through the darkness. The brute! Exclamation point. Uh, the brute! I cried with clenched hands. Oh, Holmes, I shall never forgive myself for having left him to his fate. I am more to blame than you, Watson. In order to have my case well-rounded and complete, I have thrown away the life of my client. It is the greatest blow which has befallen me in my career, but, but how could I know? How could I know? 
that he would risk his life upon the moor in the face of all my warnings. That we should have heard his screams, my God, those screams, and yet have been able, unable to save him. Where is this brute of a hound which drove him to his death? It may be lurking among these rocks at this instant. At Stapleton, where is he? He shall answer for this deed. Oh, he shall. I will see to that. Uncle and nephew have been murdered. The one frightened to death by the very sight of the beast, which he thought to be supernatural. Uh, the other, uh, other driven to his end in the wild flight to escape from it. Oh, but now we have to prove the connection between the man and the beast. Save from what we heard, we cannot even swear to the existence of the latter, since Sir Henry has evidently died from the fall. But by heavens, cunning as he is, the fellow shall be in my power before another day is past. <laughs> Exclamation point. We stood with bitter hearts on either side of the mangled body, overwhelmed by the sudden irrevocable wow. I've stumbled across another word it's impossible for me to say. Disaster, which had brought all our long and weary labors to so piteous an end. And then, as the moon rose, we clomb to the, uh, clomb, climbed to the top of the rocks over which our poor friend had fallen. And from the summit we gazed out over the shadowy moor, half silver, half gloom, far away, uh, miles off, in the direction of Grimpen. A single steady yellow light was shining. It could only come from the lonely abode of the Stapletons. With a bitter curse, I shook my fist at it as I gazed. <laughs> Why should we not seize him at once? Our case is not complete. The fellow is wary and cunning to the last degree. It is not uh, what we know, but what we, can, what we can prove. If we can make one false move, the villain may escape yet. What can we do? Well, there'll be plenty for us to do tomorrow. Tonight we can only perform the last offices to our poor friend. Together we made our way down the precipitous slope, slope and approached the body, black and clear against the silvered stones. The agony of those contorted limbs struck me with a spasm of pain and blurred my eyes with tears. We were sent for help. Oh, he's crying. Well, that's kind of cute that he actually shows emotion in the story. Uh, we were sent for help, Holmes. We cannot carry him all the way to the hall. Good heavens, are you mad? He had uttered a cry and bent over the body. Now he was dancing and laughing and wringing my hand. Could this be my stern, self-contained friend? Hmm? Eh, question mark. These were hidden fires, indeed. A beard! Exclamation point. A beard! The man has a beard! A beard? It's not the baronet. It is why it is my neighbor, the convict! With feverish haste, we had turned the body over, and that dripping beard was pointing up at the cold, clear moon. There could be no doubt about the beetling forehead. It's kind of weird that a man's dead, and he's, like, jumping up and down, like, just for joy. Like, oh, my client's still alive. Oh, good, I'll still get paid. The sunken animal eyes. It was indeed the same face which had glared upon me in the light of the candle from over the rock. The face of Selden. The criminal. Well, good. Just a criminal died, so it's not a big deal. Then in an instant, it was all clear to me. I remembered how the baronet had told me that he had handled his old wardrobe uh, to Barrymore. Barrymore had passed it on in order to help Selden in his escape. Boots, shirt, cap, his all Sir Henry's. 
The tragedy was still black enough, but this man had at least deserved death by the laws of this country. Yep, there we go. I told Holmes how the matter stood, my heart bubbling over with thankfulness and joy. Yeah, this is a, an actual human being with, you know, agency, dreams, <laughs> wanted to be loved someday, and they're all just so full of joy. Then the clothes had been the poor devil's death, said he. It is clear enough that the hound had been laid on from some article of Sir Henry's. The boot, which was abstracted at the hotel, in all probability, and so it's a ran this man down. Oh, there's there's one very singular thing, however. Uh, how came Selden in the darkness to know that the hound was on his trail? Uh, he heard him. To hear the hound upon the moor would not work a hard man like this convict into such a, a paroxysm of terror that he would risk uh, recapture by screaming wildly for help. By cries, he must have been uh, run along way after he knew the animal was on his track. How did he know? It's because he's a human being and he's scared. He doesn't want to die. A greater mystery to me is why the hound, presuming that all our conjectures are correct. I presume nothing. Well, then, why this hound should be loose tonight? I suppose that it does not always run loose upon the moor. Stapleton would not let it go unless he had a reason to think that Sir Henry would be there. Uh, my difficulty is the more formidable of the two, for I think that uh, we shall very shortly get an explanation of yours, while mine well, may remain forever a mystery. The question now is, uh, what, what shall we do? With the poor wretch's body. Well, don't move it. Let the cops come and examine it. A better sleuth than Holmes can maybe find out what's going on if you just don't touch the body and stop walking all over the crime scene. We cannot leave it here for the foxes and the ravens. I suggest that we put it in one of the huts until we can communicate with the police. Exactly. I have no doubt that you and I could carry it so far. Holla, Watson, what's this? It's the man himself. By all that's wonderful and audacious. Not a word to show your suspicions. Not a word, or my plans uh, will crumble to the ground. A figure was approaching us over the moor, and I saw the dull red glow of a cigar. The moon shone upon him, and I could distinguish the dapper shape and jaunty walk of the naturalist. He stopped when he saw us, and then, uh, and, and, and then came on again. Why, Dr. Watson, uh, that's not you, is it? You are the last man I should have expected to see out on the moor at this time of night. Oh, but, oh, but dear me, what's this? Somebody hurt? Not, don't tell me that it's our friend Sir Henry. <laughs> he hurried past me and stooped over the dead man, and I heard a sharp intake of breath. <laughs> and a cigar fell from his fingers. Who, who is this? He stammered. Oh, it's Selden, the man who escaped from Princetown. Stapleton turned a ghastly face upon us, but by a supreme effort, uh, he had overcome his amazement and his disappointment, and he looked sharply from Holmes to me. Dear me, uh, what a very shocking affair. How did, how did he die? He appears to have broken his neck by falling over these rocks. My friend and I were strolling on the moor when we heard a cry. Now I heard a cry also, and that's what brought me out. I was uneasy about Sir Henry. Well, why about Sir Henry in particular? Uh, I could not help asking. Because I suggested that he should come over. Yeah, and when he did not come, I was surprised, and I naturally became alarmed for his safety when I heard cries upon the moor. Eh. And by the way, his eyes darted again from my face to Holmes. Did you hear anything else besides a cry? No, said Holmes. Did you? Eh, no. What'd you mean then? Ah, uh, you know, the stories that the peasants tell about a phantom hound and so on, and it is said to be heard at night upon the moor, and I was wondering if there was any evidence of such a sound tonight. Uh, we are nothing of the kind, said I. 
Hey, what's your theory of this uh, poor fellow's death? Well, I have no doubt that anxiety and exposure had driven him off his, uh, off his head. And he was rushed about the moor in a crazy state and eventually fallen over here and, uh, and uh, 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 broken, broken his neck. Well, that seems the most reasonable theory, said Stapleton, and gave a sigh, which I took to indicate his relief. Hmm. And what do you think about it, Mr. Sherlock Holmes? My friend bowed his compliments. Ah, you're quick at identification, said he. And we've been expecting you in these parts since Dr. Watson came down, and you are in time to see a tragedy. Yes, indeed. I have no doubt that my friend's explanation will cover the facts, and I will take an unpleasant remembrance back to London with me tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, you return tomorrow? That's my intention. I hope you visit his cast some light upon these occurrences which have puzzled us, question mark. Holmes shrugged shoulders. One cannot always have the success for which one hopes, and an investigator needs facts and not legends or, uh, or, or, or rumors. It has not been a satisfactory case. When well, my friend spoke in his frankest and most un- unconcerned manner, Stapleton still looked hard at him, uh, then turned to me. Now, I suggest carrying this poor fellow to my house, but it would give my sister such a fright that I do not feel justified in doing it. Hmm. And I think that if we put something over his face, uh, he'll be safe until the morning. What? Why his face? keep the squirrels from biting at it. And so it was arranged. Resisting Stapleton's offer of hospitality, Holmes and I set off to Baskerville Hall, leaving the naturalist to return alone. Looking back, we saw the figure moving slowly away over the Broadmoor, and uh, behind him, uh, that one black smudge on Silvered Slope, which showed where the man was lying who had come so horribly to his end. Uh, we're at a close grips last, said Holmes, as we walked together across the morning. Ah, what nerve the fellow has. Ah, he pulled himself together in the face of what must have been a, a paralyzing shock. <laughs> and then he found that the wrong man had fallen a victim to his plot. Oh, I told you, London, in London, Watson. And I tell you, now again, because he's a know-it-all, that we have never met a four man more worthy of our steel. Well, I'm sorry he's seen you. Oh, and uh, so, was, uh, so was I at first, but, but there was no getting out of it. Uh, what effect do you think it'll have upon the plans now that he knows you're here? Now I may cause him to be more cautious, <laughs> or it may drive him to desperate measures at once, like most clever criminals. He may be too confident in his own cleverness and imagine that he has completely deceived us. Now, uh, why should we not arrest him at, uh, at once? Oh, my dear Watson, probably patting him on his head. You were born to be a man of action. Your instinct is always to do something energetic. But supposing, for argument's sake, that we had him arrested tonight. Uh, what on earth is better off than we should be for that? Uh, we should prove nothing against him. There's a devilish cunning to it. Uh, if, if he were acting through a human agent, he would get some advance, er, ev- ev- evidence. Wow, I can't read tonight. But if we were to drag this great dog to the light of day, it would not help us in putting a rope around the neck of its master. Uh, surely we have a case. No, not a shadow of one. Mm, uh, only a surmise and conjecture. Oh, we should be laughed out of court if we came in with such story and such evidence. Uh, there's, uh, there's Sir Charles's death. Found dead without a mark upon him. And you and I know that he died of sheer fright. And uh, so we also know that would frighten him. Uh, we to get to, uh, how are we to get 12 stolid jurymen to know of it? What signs are there of a hound? What are the marks of its fangs? We walked all over the crime scene. There's probably a paw print somewhere or something. Of course, we know that a hound does not bite a dead body and that Sir Charles was dead before ever the brute overtook him. But we have to prove all this and we're not in a position to do it. Uh, well, well, then, tonight... 
but we're not much better off tonight. Uh, again, there's no direct connection between the hound and the man's death. And we never saw the hound. Uh, we heard it. Uh, we cannot prove that it was running upon the man's tail. Uh, there is a complete absence of motive. Well, hounds don't have motives except to kill. Uh, no, my dear fellow, we must reconcile ourselves to the fact that we have no case at present, and that it is worth our while to run any risk in order to establish one. Uh, how do you propose to do so? I have great hopes of uh, what Mrs. Laura Lyons may do for us when the position of affairs is made clear to her, and I have my own plan as well. Sufficient for tomorrow is the evil thereof. But I hope before the day is past to have the upper hand at last. I could draw nothing further from him. And he walked, lost in thought, as far as the Baskerville gates. Are you coming up? Yes. See no reason for further concealment, but uh, one last word, Watson. Say nothing of the hound to Sir Henry. Let him think that Selden's death was as Stapleton would have us believe. He would have a better nerve for the ordeal, which he'll have to undergo tomorrow, uh, when he is engaged. If I remember uh, your your report, all right, uh, to dine with these people... And so am I. Then you must excuse yourself, and he must go alone. That will be easily arranged. And now, if we are too late for dinner, I think that we are both ready for our suppers. Well, with that, uh, why don't we get the hell out of here and go down to the smoking room to review what the hell we just read. Well, uh, what the hell happened in this chapter? Uh, the dog finally made an appearance, kinda. We found out that Holmes has been living in a cave without any glass walls or toilet. Uh, and, uh, then they wander around, they hear screaming, so they go and look, and they, they're worried that it's their client that got killed by the hound, because he's laying there with his neck all broken, in a big pool of blood, which is pretty gross. Uh, and boy, they're so upset. Oh, they're tearing up. They can't believe it. Oh, we lost our client. Oh, they're all crying. They're so upset. And then they find out, oh, no, it's the criminal. Oh, thank God, it's just the criminal. Who cares that the criminal just got killed, that a human being just got destroyed? Don't give a shit. Oh, what a relief that this turd is out of the picture, and, uh, and now we can still work on our case. Uh, good people. Just good, ethical people. Uh, what was, uh, good about this? Well, the story's almost over. I'm, like, two chapters away. God, it'll be nice to move on. Then I'll actually, uh, care about podcasting again. Uh, but so far, Holmes adds nothing. Oh, what sucks? Holmes adds nothing to the story. No keen observations except to pick on Watson for the brand of cigarettes he smokes. And, and boy, your shoes are so plain, I have no idea your foot from any other man's foot. Uh, what do we learn? Rich people are jerks. Uh, they just come into small towns and just start crapping all over everyone. And, uh, boy, they love it when a, when a felon dies. So with that, uh, thanks for listening. And, uh, hopefully I'll be able to wrap this up in the next episode and, uh, just, just get on with my life. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, uh, I, are you cool? I like cool people. 
It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left. <laughs>